or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. There are also copies of the Bible in the back. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And verses 12 through 17. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the, lo- in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, uh, Mars Hill and High Rock. It is uh, good to be with you again on another Sunday as we've gathered together um, this day in the Lord's house. Um, we're thankful for this time and season. I'm especially thankful as the weather is warming up a little bit and uh, I could just send my kids out to play outside and uh, sit inside in the house and uh just as long as there are no screams, blood, or ambulances, um, make it a good afternoon. <laughs> amen, amen. And so um, thankful for that. Uh, this is also uh, graduation season, and uh, we're thankful for uh, those uh, who are uh, continuing to pursue their academic pursuits, and uh, we'll have an opportunity later in the year to Uh, congratulate those uh, individuals. Um, This morning, I have the privilege, um, as we've been journeying over these last couple of weeks and months, um, I have the privilege of uh, concluding um, our journey that we've been looking at over these last several weeks in the story of the Exodus. Um, If you can believe it, maybe over three months ago in January, we began starting at the beginning of the book of Exodus, looking at the journey that the children of Israel took. And one of the things that I hope that as we've studied this journey is to understand and to realize as we look to uh, all of the things that the children of Israel understood, we recognize that the central theme throughout all of this is God's faithfulness and how God continues uh, when he makes a covenant promise that he is faithful to his promises. The good news about God's faithfulness is also the fact that even when obstacles get in the way, and sometimes those obstacles are the people right in the mirror, uh, when those obstacles 
obstacles come in the way, it does not stop God's plans from being fulfilled. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Some of you ought to think back of some of the things that you've gotten in the way of God, but God has still been faithful to his promises. Amen. Can you be honest this morning? How many people can talk back to me this morning and say, yes, I've gotten in the way of God sometimes. I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten in places where I've gotten ahead of God, and, and God has still been faithful. And so as we get to this place, I'm excited as we get to this place um, in concluding this journey because it represents a reminder that through it all, God's work is working. And, and, and even behind the scenes when we don't even understand, God is working to accomplish his plans and purposes. So let's pray this morning as we go to the word of God and just ask God to illuminate our hearts and our minds as we receive the word of God this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We pray that, Lord, as the word goes forth this morning, Lord, that it would go forth with power and might, O oh God. And, Lord, you would teach us through your word how we may walk out and to do the things that you called for us to do. We pray that as two churches worshiping together, Lord, we might be taught on how we can, Lord, continue to uh, fulfill the vision that you've given our churches, Lord, that as we come together, we will be a light and a beacon in this region. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began the exploration of the culmination of the Exodus journey. And as Israel reaches Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to the mountain to speak with God, and God delivers to Moses these instructions for covenant community with God. I don't want us to lose sight of what was happening and what was taking place because what we were ultimately seeing in this process is what I call transformation. One of the things that is the hallmark to the walk of a believer is that God is transforming us more and more into his image. And what we recognize was that the people of Israel, they were people who were enslaved. They worshiped many gods. They had many practices and things that were abhorrent to God. But God says, I saw your plight and I'm going to rescue you because you are my very own people. And what God says is that as I am pulling you out of the natural circumstances that you are in, you're going to have to also understand from a spiritual perspective what it means to be in covenant relationship and also covenant community with one another. You see, God cannot pull you out of your natural circumstances and you still operate with the mindset of your previous place. You cannot be out of slavery, but yet still have the mindset of slavery. And so what God is saying is that more than just getting you out of the physical space or physical place that you've asked for me to do, I've also got to renew your mind. And God is constantly challenging us. Because oftentimes our prayers are filled with, Lord, change my natural circumstances. Lord, I mean, <laughs> come on, I, I prayed it. Lord, back up the armored truck, <laughs> ride up to the house, and drop the money. 
Or better yet, we're in the electronic age. Lord, tell the person inputting the numbers to wire the money from that account into my account. I mean, we, we have prayed for God to change our natural circumstances, but God recognizes that he can change all of our natural circumstances, but yet if we still have the old mindsets, that change in natural circumstances won't make a bit of difference. And so what God is doing is that he is relaying to the people of Israel, these are commandments that I give to you to help you to understand what covenant community looks like. Now, what was the importance of the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, and what is its importance to us as New Testament Christians. We recognize that as we are recounting the story of what happened for the people of Israel and how Moses gave these instructions, a lot has changed over time. Now, there are some people who, when they look at things changing over time, they kind of look at old things and they say, oh, man, that's that's old school way of doing things. I mean, you ever, you ever heard things, uh, you know, you just looked at it and say, well, uh, I, I'm sure that's how they did it back in your day or age. But, you know, this is a new way that we do things. I mean, I, 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 I've been uh, succumbing to Uber Eats. How many people uh, have used Uber Eats, amen? And so, I mean, it started off once where it was on a Sunday morning, and I was like, we, didn't, we ran out of cereal, and I was just like, I need to get something to feed the kids, and I was like, oh my God, I can get delivery, excuse me, gosh, sorry, uh, <laughs> um, pray for me, <laughs> I can get delivery of food right to my door, and someone will bring it, and so it started off as that, and then it turned into, oh, man, I can try out this restaurant and this restaurant and this. So in new ways of doing things, we find things that are convenient and other ways. But what we begin to understand is that along these lines, God gives precepts and principles. And one of the things that God says is that I am the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now, we look back with the lens as New Testament believers, meaning that we now understand how God has come to fulfill, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but we understand the ethos and the principles still yet remain, even though sometimes they seem old-fashioned, even in that to start, we must have a bit of understanding, and we have to know a bit of biblical history to understand and be able to have a proper perspective towards this, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given as a part of the Mosaic Law in a time and age before Christ. Salvation in this age under the law was found by fulfilling each of the principles and practices of the law. And one of the ways that it was adjudicated, whether people were obeying the laws, was to expound upon each command 
with a series of more laws that define the scope of each commandment. So last week we talked about the four laws and we talked about remembering the Sabbath and we talked about not taking the Lord's name in vain and saying, oh my God, like I just said. And we, 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 we explained about those things, but then they expounded upon those with certain regulations. And, and, and these laws which were enacted in the, in the culture of that time began to talk about what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? What is uh, an act of work or what is not an act of work? Or what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Come later, Jesus comes and he tells the first century followers, you have heard it said, but this is what it really means. If you go to Matthew chapter number five, Jesus begins to expound upon the Ten Commandments, but he begins to correct even the religious leaders of that day because they had made all of these encumbrances upon the law, but they had missed the ethos or the the spirit of why God was instituting these laws. They had pleasure in debating the minuscule aspects of the law, but they lost the heart of it, which was love that was demonstrated through Christ Jesus. And in Jesus, he says this in Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So Jesus comes and he begins to present that yes, there is the law that was presented, but he came to fulfill that law and he begins to talk about the reason why the law of Moses was insufficient. Romans tells us that the Mosaic law was insufficient because of our weaknesses of our sinful nature. But it tells us that so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did that so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So the law of the spirit governs us. But we have to recognize that the law of the Spirit does not exclude us from following after what God has called for us to do. I, there are some people, the Bible tells us, listen, if someone comes in another spirit, don't believe them. So if, if they come and say, well, the Spirit just told me that, you know, God doesn't mind lying. That might be a spirit, just not the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to recognize that the Spirit guides us in the truth that is presented. Finally, when asked which of these commandments is the greatest, Jesus said this, uh, Matthew 22, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A, sec a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. I like Jesus. He makes it plain. If you can't get it, I'll break it down to you. I'll give you a nice slogan. I mean, you can, you can hashtag that, Jesus said. What's the first and greatest commandment? 
You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What is the second greatest commandment? That you love your neighbor as yourself. But if you miss it, you'll miss the conjunction that is in here. A second is equally important. We highlighted last week the first four commandments. And they present to us a picture of what God expects to us in relation to the vertical relationship between God and man. It gives us instructions about how we are to worship Yahweh, how we are to reverence Yahweh, and how we are to relate to Yahweh. But then six commands are given to us which tell us that if we're truly going to have authentic worship of God, they must be done in conjunction with how we treat our neighbor. So God puts it and juxtaposes a lot of us who find piety in how we relate to God, how we expound upon the scriptures, how we know the word of God, how we've memorized things. God juxtaposes that with the fact of I can tell how deep your spirituality is by looking at how you treat your neighbor on your left and on your right. And even goes to the extent to say that if your horizontal relationships are messed up, then you can't claim to be as spiritual as you think you are. That, for me, challenges me on a daily basis. Because it's easy. I mean, I like to focus on things. And so I like to focus on one area or I like to, you know, it, it, it is kind of, you know, my nature that if, if I take one area, I like to perfect an area and I like to get it nice and right. And then I can go on and move on to another area. When I'm cleaning, I like to focus on an area, focus on a room, get it nice and clean. So I felt like I've gotten accomplishment. Then I can move on to the next thing but then Jesus comes along and says it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God you can learn all types of scriptures you can memorize scriptures back and forth front and back but if you don't walk it out on a daily basis in how you treat your neighbor you will never learn the true essence of what a relationship with God truly looks like the challenge that many of us face is that we are in a day and age that when we think about commandments and when we think about why does it have to be rules and regulations that are associated with a relationship with God, that we look at these commandments and we can fall into a place of legalism in terms of how we walk out or execute these commands and these instructions. And what I want us to understand is the heart not only to understand what God specifically said in these Ten Commandments, but to understand the heart of why God gave these Ten Commandments. Uh, I just want to do a brief illustration. Can I, the youngest, not youngest, the newest married couple, uh, any, any couple married in the last year or so? Anybody? All right. Peter and Jess, can I borrow you guys for, <laughs> for a moment? You're not the youngest married couple, but can I borrow you guys up here for a moment? 
We're going to put you on the spot. This is going to be marriage therapy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How long have you guys been married? 15 years. Come on, let's thank God for that. Amen. Amen. And uh, how many beautiful kids? All right, good, good. You got the both answers right so far. <laughs> Amen. Well, imagine back in the day. Can you remember when you guys, uh, how long did you guys date for? Well, seven the, years, seven well, years. Dating before you got married? Yes, yes. About seven years, okay. So you imagine back when you guys were dating and um, you were, you know, making the decision and say, okay, we want to get married. And, uh, you know, as you come, uh, you know, before the pastor, you have a ceremony, and the pastor goes through the vows that you have with one another. You say, I love you for, uh, till death do us part, in sickness and health, till death do us part. And then right after that, Peter goes and says to Jess and says, all right, so how far can I go on the edges of the boundary that you'll still love me? How, you know, how many times can I go out at night and you'll still be there? We would look at that and say, that would be absolutely awkward that if you're making a choice to marry someone, you don't look at it as, well, how far can I get and still be legally married? But the question that you would ask is that because we have something that is special together, you would say, how do I protect this relationship so it can thrive and grow? And so you put things and boundaries into place not to constrain you from enjoying the marriage, but you actually put it in place so that you can enjoy the fullness of the marriage and the relationship. Does that make sense? Amen. Thank you, uh, Peter and Jess, <laughs> for that. So when we think about the commandments, you can look at it from two perspectives. One perspective it is, is to look at it and say, oh, man, God just has a whole bunch of rules. And it seems like, what's the point? Or we can see it as God loves us so much that he wants to protect the relationship and he wants to make sure that we receive the fullness of all that God has for us. So as a result, God gives us instructions which will help nurture, protect, and to ensure that our relationship with him continues to grow. I'll tell you this, any parent that tells you, I can raise my children but not give them any boundaries, while that sounds great in the moment, that hinders a child from truly growing and experiencing the fullness of blessings. Now, we can differ on how we set up rules and regulations, and different parents have different parenting styles, but God in his infinite wisdom, he gives us these instructions, and they follow this model of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Last week, we covered one through four, the first four commandments. If you missed it, go look on the Facebook um, uh, live, or you can also get the uh, video, uh, excuse me, the audio, um, but 
Pastor Josh did an awesome job of summarizing uh, commands one through four. Now, as we turn to the last six commandments, God gives us instructions that focus on the horizontal nature of our relationship with God and with others. We stand in recognition that our worship to God is incomplete without our love and service towards God's image bearers here in this earth. And so as we walk through each of these commandments, what you will see underlying these commandments is the sacredness of both the people, God's image bearers, and also institutions that were set up by God. Now, this is important because you've got to recognize that they were coming out of a place where the culture and things had dictated how they lived out their life. Now God was bringing them into the promised land, and he was instilling, these are institutions that I'm putting in place, and these are people that are sacred in my image, and you've got to understand those things, and they will help you to live full and two, the full measure that God desired for them to live. Now, um, God wanted in all of this that his covenant would be fulfilled. What was that covenant? It was what we saw um, in the beginning of Exodus where the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, and he promised that I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from oppression in Egypt. So what did he give them as instructions? Uh, commandment number five, um, which is the first one that we're going to look at today, is found in verse number 12. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord is giving you. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's important to understand that this commandment was given at, with an understanding that parents would recognize the significant role that they had in society and raising God's people. The Torah teaching would bestow upon parents the responsibility to teach the children. Some of the instructions that we see in uh, the Hebrew Shema was, repeat these words again and again to them, to your children. Tell them about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. You see, there was a responsibility that was given uh, uh, for those who are parents that as they were parents, they had a role in raising up and proclaiming the truth of the word of God and making sure that it extended to the next generations. Now, I will be honest. There are plenty of times where I let iPad and Netflix parent my children. All right, I'm the only one. But... <laughs> I'll be honest enough to admit that sometimes it is challenging. 
But I realized that one of my central roles as a parent is to instill in them not only good character and nature, but also to teach them the word of God. You see, Sunday school and, and, and our small groups are great opportunities to supplement uh, the teaching of the word of God, but we cannot let that be the only place that our children are learning about the word of God. And so it should be important that we make time in our households to spend time praying together. We had, you know, uh, growing up, we gathered together at 10 p.m. and we had prayer time together. Now, it was simple, just prayers that we, but I learned something important and it was modeled before me about what it meant to pray and to intercede. And so you never know even the smallest things that as a parent that you instill as patterns how they can impact the next generation. Now this was also in accordance with this instruction that it said to honor your father and mother. Why would God focus on how believers treated their parents? One of the cultural norms of the surrounding culture was to abandon the aging when they no longer could support themselves. But, but in God's mind, this opera represented the journey of the people of Israel. There will be those who fought earlier to leave out of Egypt, and they were just as valuable to Israel in their twilight years as they had been in the, when they were strong fighters and charioteers. What God was teaching them was there was a value and there was an importance of the institution of family, and it meant to also value every part of the family so that we don't look at our aging as those who have just had their years and leave them to wash away, but we value them and we honor them. Now, one of the challenges is that in this day and age, we've lost the sight of honor and what that means in our culture. And as a result, we know that when someone we disagree with, we quick are quick to throw them away or quick to disconnect or quick to write them off. But scripture teaches us the importance of honor. And part of honor is also walking through rough patches of relationships and still being able to walk in honor towards someone and how you treat them so that when you be, uh, appear before God, you'll be able to see, say, Lord, I believe that I honored them with my words and my deeds and everything that was done. He says, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord is giving you. That was more than just an individualistic promise. It was a promise for the whole covenant community. I'm so glad that at Mars Hill and High Rock, we have multi-generations that are a part of our church. And here's the reason why I'm glad about that is because there is wisdom in each generation. There is wisdom in the older generations that have experienced and have gone through life and can tell you some things, even though sometimes you don't want to hear some of those things that they like to say. There is wisdom in the things that they'll share. And sometimes you just need one of the old mothers just to come up to you and just 
just tell you like it is, not sugarcoat it and just say, honey, get it together. And you say, all right, I'm going to get it together. But there's also wisdom in our younger generations. There's wisdom in some of our college and, and younger teenager folks who have the energy and have the ingenuity, and God has blessed them. And so it is not a either or. It is all of them working together for the glory of God. And when we learn how to honor each, uh, each other for what God has blessed them with, then we can receive from one another as well. Honor your mother and your father. Commandment number six is you must not murder. The sixth commandment recognizes the sacredness of human life. While there are many debates about what constitutes murder according to God's standard, we can see that the heart of this command is the recognition that life is sacred and from God. We can all agree that the sacredness of life is not always pictured in our society right here and now. And what we recognize from this command, the murder, which was the taking of life, the unauthorized taking of life, we see that as an aspect that God valued the sanctity of human life. Number, command number seven was you must not commit adultery. The seventh commandment stresses the sacredness of sexual intimacy and marriage. It basically boiled down to this. No one is allowed to have sex with any married person except his or, horse, uh, his or her spouse. And no married person is allowed to have sex with anyone other than his or her spouse. From a biblical perspective, sex was a seal of, of the marriage covenant, and while enjoyment, pleasure, and procreation were benefits of the sexual relationship, God's law gave the boundaries of God's design for sex. The instruction number seven to not commit adultery was enjoining the importance of the institution of marriage and the importance of the sacredness of sexual intimacy and God's design. Number eight, you must not steal. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you without permission. You know, it's interesting because we all have different upbringings. And in my particular upbringing, um, I remember one time that um, my brother took something from the gas station without paying for it. And I remember the punishment that he endured um, as a result of that. I won't recount it because I wouldn't want my parents to go to jail now uh, certain years later for what they did. But it, it, in my mind... Stealing was never considered even to be an option. Uh, that, that was just, it, it just wasn't in my brain. But I, I recognize that some of us, you know, depending on circumstances or things that may have come up, we, we, we kind of looked at it as, well, sometimes you've got to do that in order to get needs met or in order to fulfill um, um, what is needed there. But we recognize that the commander and the instruction not to steal it is this command that we are uh, taking something that does not belong to us without permission. Now, one of the challenges is, is that there's probably a lot of you who are like me, who raised up in a household, who the thought of going into a store 
putting something in your pocket and stealing in that sense, you would say, I would never, ever do that. But that is not the limit of what God talks about when he talks about stealing. Um, uh, There are many ways that we steal without actually going into a store and physically taking something from that store. Perhaps the most poignant uh, example that is presented in the scripture talks to us about how we steal from God in the management or the stewardship of our finances and our resources. Now, this is the part of the sermon where it gets a little bit hard, so you can say ouch or amen um, if it hits you a little bit. But uh, the instructions in Malachi, Malachi tells us, and, and, and we read there in Malachi 3 and verse number 8, and, and um, it says it in the New Living Translation, should people cheat God? Now, sometimes, you know, I, I love the New Living Translation because it makes it, you know, nice and, and relevant, and sometimes it's very palatable what God is saying. Um, um, but sometimes you just need to go to good old King James Version just to get get the depth of what God was saying in a particular passage. And, and in Malachi 3 and 8, in King James Version, it's... It says it this way, will a man rob God? Now, I think about that. You know, I can't imagine going to God, stick him up. Come on, give me everything you got. That, That in my mind, I can't conceive that. But what the scripture says, and it goes on to say, uh, 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 should people cheat God? And then it goes on to say, how have you done that? He says, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he says, you have cheated me of tithes and offering due to me. Now, the Bible tells us that when we are to give, we're, not, we're, we're to give out a cheerful heart. We're not to give because we feel like God is sticking us up and say, all right, it's first Sunday at High Rock and Mars Hill. You better go up to the front and you better put an envelope in there, better put some money in there. What it says is that the heart of it matters in your giving. But it also is a principle that is intention that when we withhold from God what is justly due to him because he has blessed us with everything, then we are robbing from God. And so in the literal sense, many of us would never say that we have stolen candy bar, TV, DVD, whatever But many of us yet, in the same way, have stolen from God. And God invites us not to feel as convicted criminals for that, but he invites us to change our ways and in a generous heart to live a life where we're committed to giving unto him. Um, Two more, and then we'll wrap up for today. The next commandment, number nine, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. The ninth commandment upholds the sacredness of the judicial process and God's desire for justice. We know in Micah it tells us the importance of justice. And here we see that he says that as part of that justice, bearing false witness is against the character and the nature of God. 
Lastly, commandment number 10. I love it because, you know, when, <laughs> when I was in law school and, and we would write up contracts, we would, you know, you'd specify like all the different terms of the contract. And then you usually have this one last clause, which was basically like, and any other thing that you would think of that you would do that would violate the terms and the essence of this contract is not accordance with this contract. It was the catch-all. And uh, Jesus in his God in his infinite wisdom gave us a good catch-all in commandment number 10. Let's look at it together. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The Tenth Commandment stressed the right attitude. It warns us against indulging in a spirit which could lead to actions condemned in at least the four preceding commandments. The word covet means to set one's heart upon an object with the idea of possessing it. Do you know that much of the TV that we watch is centered around the idea that we covet things? And I'm not, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you this morning. <laughs> but I'm trying to help us to recognize that we are surrounded with a worldview that is always presenting things to you so that you'll never be satisfied. Do you know that, you know, there are places where you can take fake selfie pictures that are almost like a, a photo booth where you can get yourself, I mean, and the statistics of people who have died taking selfies so that it can appear that this is what life is. But in reality, it is far from what their everyday life is. The reality is, is that we live in a society that promotes covetous. But God instructs us not to covet. Now, it's not only possessions. But one of the things that happens even in the body of Christ is that we covet gifts that God has given to individuals in the body of Christ. Some of us, we may look and say, wow, I mean, Pastor Joseph gets to spend all that time in front of everybody and talking to all those people. And, and, and man, it would, it would be good if I, was, I got the opportunity. You can have this opportunity. But you've got to know along with it comes an immense amount of prayer, an immense amount of preparation, an immense amount of responsibility, an immense amount of challenge. And I'm not trying to say woe is me, but what I'm trying to say is that if we don't covet, then what ends up happening is that we operate according to the way that God intends for operate is that the body, every part of the body is doing its part of the work. But when we covet, instead what happens is that we lose out on how the body should function and operate. Guess what? Church will not operate unless we have ODM that is outside. Church will not operate unless we have people that are taking care of the kids. Church won't operate unless somebody comes before church, sets up the offering baskets. Church will not operate unless we have people who are presiding over service. They don't even speak a word, but they are doing immense parts to make sure that God's will is being done. And so what we recognize is that if we learn to appreciate, going back to the culture of honor, if we learn to appreciate everybody's role, 
then we'll see that God is ultimately glorified the most. And what God was teaching these people as we wrap up this morning was that through these Ten Commandments, he was giving principles. He was teaching them, this is how you protect the covenant relationship. And these instructions now as New Testament believers, we can see that Jesus, he ratified all of these commandments. Nine out of ten of these commandments were ratified in the New Testament. And what we see, what was the final response here in Exodus, was that as Moses came and gave these instructions, the people made a choice to respond. Mars Hill and High Rock, as we've gone over these last weeks and looked at the story of Exodus, the challenge to us is how will we respond? The response of these people was to trust and obey. Now, the challenge was is that in their trusting and obeying, they didn't get it right. They messed up. I mean, they messed up bad. Golden calves. There were so many things that they messed up, but the grace of God was continually there. I've got news for us that we've got an interim plan and we've got a long-term plan, a lot of things that are happening and taking place, apologize, and we might mess up along the way. The leadership might mess up. The overseers might mess up. But along the way, if we continue to strive and say, Lord, we want your will to be done, we'll see that God will be glorified. So in the midst of this, can we be on one accord that we know God has brought us to a time and a place such as this? It's not for just any random reason, but it is that he might be glorified in all the earth. Come on, just stand with me as we respond this morning to the service and to the message of the word of God. And I want us just to respond in a collective yes. We're saying yes to the Lord. We're saying yes to his will. And we're saying, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, we've got many things that are coming. We've got many things that we don't, haven't even anticipated. But I am confident in this. The same God <laughs> that spoke to us before the generations is the same God who promised that it is faithful, even now and forevermore. Let's respond together.